Sten Morgan here. I hope you're doing well. I want to announce that we are launching the How to Be an Elite Advisor course. We are combining all of our best teachings and ideas into a course that you can complete in less than a week. I want to share with you the best ideas that I implement within my practice that have helped me achieve more than I ever thought possible. I want to share how I have unique meetings with clients. What's the mindset of an elite advisor? How do you prospect in a way that'll separate you from other advisors? At the Elite Advisor Network, we reject average. I want to help you see what your full potential is and reach it faster. Set time aside this week to take the course. Click on the link or go visit gobeelite.com. I'll talk to you soon. Well, welcome, friends, to another episode of Becoming an Elite Financial Advisor. Uh, Sten Morgan is not here today. If you're watching us on YouTube, Sten um, did not um, uh, shrink. This is Kyle. Uh, <laughs> Sten's a big guy. It's not an insult. Uh, he's a big guy. Uh, but uh, my friend, Sten's friend, uh, Kyle Kuyat, is here. Uh, and so, Kyle, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It pays to be uh, only 15 minutes away from you geographically. Hey, so. that's right. That's right. That's right. It does. It does. We, <laughs> we live even closer than that to each other down in good old Spring Hill. Yep. The Hill. As they, they're trying to make our sound, our town like sound hip and they call it The Hill. I'm like, no, it's just a suburb, people. Like, it's not hip. Yeah. That's okay. Not yet. Not yet. That's it. Uh, so we're going to talk today about something that I find absolutely fascinating about this industry because you generally can't talk about it. Like that's one of the hallmarks of it is it's like this happens sort of in the dark of night with separate email addresses and not like burner phones. It's not quite that far, but like <laughs> you don't email about this at work. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't take phone calls about this, you know, unless it's, oh, let me step outside and take this call, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and that is people who are looking, for the most part, sometimes it's people starting off, but for the most part, it's people who are looking to switch. And we've talked about um, in some past episodes why people switch, but you're you're in a unique position to talk about why people switch companies and is that a good idea or not. Um, and then we're also going to get into what do companies tell people that are looking to switch that you really, they're either dishonest uh, misleading, which is a nice way of saying dishonest, right? Right. Uh, and then, and then, how do you prepare yourself, and what are the right questions to ask, and how do you vet a company if you're considering switching? So, let's start off with what is your current role? Like, what's your title, and what are your responsibilities uh, with Silver Oak, the company you work with? Which is, by the way, not sponsoring, not endorsing, whatever. <laughs> You know, all the hashtags, whatever. Okay. I'm not going to plug it too hard, I promise. I'll okay. give people yeah. my my transparent best here as far as, yeah. as you know. So what's your role and what do you do? So my personal role is the VP of business development, more or less. And uh, I'm the on the recruiting team at Silver Oak. Okay. Right. So bring advisors from wherever they're at currently to Silver Oak and help them explore their options and find the path that's best for them. Now, I, I, I didn't know this number and maybe you, you do, but mm -hmm. I mean, how many potential options are I mean, if you think about, um, you know, you think about how many banks someone could go work for in America. Sure. I'm sure there's, you know, 12,000 banks or whatever it might be or whatever. I mean, be, being sort of brands, right? Mm -hmm. What, how many, how many options, you know, beyond the biggies, right? I mean, how, are there 10,000 different companies that an advisor could go work for? Not as much anymore. Um, I guess I'll kind of break it down in three different capacities. So, you know, coming from my wholesaler background, there was really, you know, we were always channelized. So you had your wirehouses kind of in one silo, which okay. are your Morgan Stanley's, Merrill Lynch's, et cetera. Okay. You have your bank advisors, which are your Wells Fargo's, and, you know, there's becoming less and less banks with all the M&A. And then on the independent side, you used to always have all these different options. There right. were hundreds of broker dealers. Okay. There's still maybe way more options in the independent space than there are elsewhere because there's not these big names that are having these you know, these larger infrastructures like the wirehouse or bank setup. But 
there's a lot of M&A activity, actually, so much so that I find an interesting stat from 2009, I believe it is, 17 of the, of the top 25 firms at the time in the independent space, they don't even exist anymore. Wow. They've become LPL. They've become Cetera. They've become advisor group. Any of these other larger conglomerates in the independent space, there's almost four or five big names that are up there mm-hmm. that you know a lot of advisors chose to be at a, maybe a smaller firm or a mid-sized firm. Right. But that model, you just don't see it as much anymore because of all the M&A, private equity into the space. Okay. So we're going to get into a lot of details about this, but this episode is for people to explore the idea of why do people switch? And I also want to get into um, why switching can be a way of hiding from your own sort of inability to just execute. Meaning mm-hmm. it's it's not where you are, right? Um, I was one of my favorite uh, musicians, a guy named David Wilcox, and he tells a story about a friend of his, and he would just constantly talk about me and this girl this and this girl that, and he, and he was dating all his girls and all this stuff <laughs> wrong with him. And he said, you know, David said to his friend, he said, you know, the only thing all those girls have in common is you, and it seems like maybe you're the problem because he was kind of playing well, this girl's this problem. This he's like, no man, like maybe you're the problem, right? He called him like a serial monogamous person, you know, like, mm-hmm. no, no, you're not. And, and I, I want to talk about that because as a lead advisor network through Sten's leadership, you know, through our work with advisors, I have conversations with advisors regularly about this topic and those who just reach out to us. Um, and uh, sometimes I have to say, I don't think it's the company. I think it's you. And that's a hard thing to hear. Right. So what do you like about your job? What, what part of your job do you feel like, yeah, I, I, this is the part of it that's good, that's healthy. I know I can sleep well at night because I'm helping advisors do this. What is that? I would say there, there's a couple of different things, I guess, just to paint it in a, in a 10 second synopsis for the viewers. So my background came from wholesaling. So I got to see every different business model from the RAAs to mainly the independents. I saw a little bit of the banks and wires, but mainly independents and RAAs. Okay. And what I love about my job is I can see what so many other advisors are doing. Yeah. Everybody has their head buried in their business sure. because they have to. Yeah. They're yeah. running a they're running a yeah. practice. Yeah. And I think that's one of the benefits that you guys have with EAN as well, is you can yeah. bring all these advisors in one room. Yeah. And hey, if advisor A is doing something that advisor B yeah, is yeah, trying yeah. to do, you yeah. can either match them up or they can learn from one another, but these right. advisors can't. So what I love about my job is I get to have these conversations with them all the time. And selfishly, I have it in my own practice as well. So if there's an idea that's working for them, they'll be the first to tell me about it right. and I can implement it and test it out myself and share right. with other advisors. So so um, some of the terms that maybe we're going to talk about mm-hmm. um, uh, just in regards to what are the structures that, because really this is about where do you work, right? And why do you work there? What are some of the structures that maybe someone is, because some of this, we have college, we have people listen to our, our show that are in college mm-hmm. and they're just learning about the industry. You know what I mean? So what, where does your work with Silver Oak come into play? As If I'm a college kid, I'm saying, hey, I want to go, like, is Silver Oak the right fit for me? Why or why not? Like, what are the, what are the, the groups or the entities that people would consider other than Silver Oak? Where does that fit? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, more the independent space. And it, it, there's a lot of that goes into this. Um, I would start somewhere, you know, I guess if I'm looking at Silver Oak in a silo, we predominantly work with advisors that are either changing independent firms, so going from the independent world at one firm to ours, okay. um, or advisors that are leaving a, a bank or wire situation and coming to Silver Oak. Or maybe it's somebody that's at an independent firm that wants to join um, us more on the RA side. So they're exploring, you know, leaving the broker-dealer world, Finner behind and, and, and coming there. But for the people that are in the college world, 
Dude, it's tough. I mean, the whole reason I started out in the wholesaling world is because I didn't want to learn one way. I mean, full disclosure, my dad's an advisor. He has a great practice. I didn't want to learn everything that my dad knows. So then I'd be, because for me as a younger person, I'd rather spend my money and resources and energy on knowledge, which is the whole reason why I've I've gravitated towards you guys. I don't want to just learn how one advisor does it. I want to see how they all do it because chances are, I can copy and paste some of the models that Sten does, but right. I'm not going to copy and paste Sten from A to Z because we're different it's not, people. Yeah, it's not who you are. Yeah. And it's not going to feel as authentic, but there are things that Sten does phenomenally that I can implement into my practice. So for me, I wanted to go somewhere that was more of a, uh, a wholesaling route because I was introduced to the universe of the financial planning world. I think you have to go somewhere that you can at least study to attain your CFP or start that process. That okay. was a game changer for me, not just from a knowledge standpoint, but really more or less from a confidence standpoint. Yeah. Not just for yourself. We hear that a lot about CFP. It's like, first of all, if we're kind of backwards here, like people generally don't care about the letters. Don't do it for the letters, Mm -hmm. right? Second is you will learn a lot. And maybe like primarily, it's you just have some confidence. You're just like, I know my stuff. And I know I know my stuff because I passed this bad boy and it didn't beat me. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, Because it can can hurt. Uh, That can be a difficult process. So let me ask you for your your work you're doing Mm -hmm. How do you know, how do you measure if you're doing a really good job? Uh, because, I mean, I've heard that some people are just, they're, they're paid by how many people get in. If they don't produce real well, whatever. But that seems to be a, a losing formula because then you're just burning through people, right. right? And your name is not, you know, very good in the market, which is, yeah, lots of big promises, but then people leave after three months. You know what I mean? So are you, um, how, how do you feel about, vetting someone and, and looking at them and saying, you know, I don't, I don't think they're going to stick around very long. I think they're just going to go to the next thing, the next thing. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of ways to look at it. I would say the first thing is what you talked about before somebody that changes firms to maybe avoid the problem, which is themselves. Mm. I mean, I could see that on broker check. It's not hard for me. The first thing I do whenever I see a name come through, I'm talking to somebody is probably what some clients are doing, which is looking at broker check. All the information is out there today. Wow. I could see if you've been at 20 firms and 20 years. That's wow. probably not somebody I want I want to talk to. Yeah. I've had so many conversations with advisors um, that, you know, from from a vetting standpoint, I, I think maybe from the wholesaling side, I've had so many reps with this that yeah. I can tell when I'm being lied to and really? when it doesn't really add up. Yeah. I mean, I want to see if, if, if somebody says, oh, I do a million dollars a year. Great. Send me your 1099 statement. I believe you, but I want to verify. I'm not going right. to give you a deal based off of right, right, right. what that is, but I'm not so cutthroat in that direction that I'm all, you know, only, it's only about numbers because ultimately you're looking for the character traits, just like we, you know, like you guys instill in somebody that wants to be part of this group. Yeah. Just because you're at 10 or 15 or whatever your number is today, doesn't mean that you can't be 10 times that in, in the future. So yeah. it's more or less figuring out who that person is, what they're looking for. And I always tell the people, look, we may not be a fit for you. I'll be the first to tell you either way. But if there is a better fit out there in the marketplace, I'd be happy to point you in that direction or make right. an introduction. So yeah. You're like Santa in uh, Miracle on 34th Street, where he's like, <laughs> you need to go down to Gimbel's. They have that toy. And you're like, what? You, that, you sent someone to a different store? I might have messed up that story. But anyway, um, so um, you talk to people all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, what do you see or get that? What kind of conversations do you get to have that like normally people don't have because mm-hmm. they're afraid to? It's a good question. I think a lot of advisors, like, what are you hearing that people are afraid to say out loud to anyone else? You know, like if I ask a counselor that question, be like, oh, I yeah. hear all kinds of stuff. Yeah. You ask a pastor that question. Oh, I, I know all kinds of stuff, right? 
So I know you're going to have conversations with people that are at the end of the rope. They're they're fed up. They're mm-hmm. pissed off. They're frustrated, or they've grown and they're like, I want to. I want. They're excited about a different opportunity. You know what I mean? Right. These are not conversations that generally because people generally hide those things because they're afraid to bring them generally to their employer because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think a lot of it is even the larger advisors or the larger teams, you would think that, you know, you're a half a billion dollar office or you're close to a billion dollars. You guys mustn't have a perfect system and you know everything. It's almost the opposite. Mm. A lot of these people only know their model or what they're used to and they don't know the whole entire world that's out there. Because think about it. If you've seen that thing that gets put out from the technology standpoint alone, have you seen, you know what I'm talking about? It is. Where uh, it has this mortgage board. make like a wallpaper or a t-shirt of that. You know? Right. Like, like it's just an un... I don't know. There's probably 300 logos on that mm-hmm. of just all this different pieces of technology that exist to help you, you know, run your business. You know what I mean? Right. So, so your connection with that is that there's just so many, there's so many different angles and varieties and well, options. You and, could mix and match that. And there's probably millions, if you did the math, oh my God. different categories yeah. and yeah. ways you could have that come together. But that's yeah. how you can run a practice. If you're at maybe somewhere where it's all done for you, never had to think about it. And now you're going to more of an independent model where you can pick and choose those technologies. They're not chosen for you. That could be something that is a whole can of worms. So I think it's it's asking the right questions just as much from from my standpoint. I want to make sure I'm answering questions that they don't even know to ask yet. I think that's the yeah. big key. Yeah, we'll get into that because I think that's the other part. It's it's you know if someone's going to go get a job somewhere, it's like I want to make sure that you are asking the right questions mm-hmm. um, before you say yes to something like that. So let's let's our audience. One of the reasons they really connect with the, the show and with Sten is because he likes to teach people how to get paid for their time, right? Right. Versus give it away. So you're going to talk to all these advisors, and how much is paid planning? Because I know that Silver Oak is built built to handle that and to facilitate that mm-hmm. from day one. Where I've had conversations with advisors who are like. I want to leave because they just make it too hard for me to get paid for my time, right? Whether yep. they put a cap on or they don't allow it or your production has to be a certain number before they let you do it or whatever it might be, uh, or they want to take too much of a high percentage of it, you know? Right. So how does paid planning fit into your conversations with new advisors? How, are you using that as an advantage to say, hey, by the way, we, you know, we work with this EAN group and, you know, we'll help you get paid for your time. Is that something advisors are talking about right now or is it sort of a still a outlier? I always say if you're going to make a move, don't make a lateral move. There's no reason to make a lateral move unless you just absolutely hate where you're at. Even if that's your initial starting point, chances are there's a lot of things that you can either implement or improve on. Fee for planning should be one of those things, especially if it's somebody listening to the show. I would imagine that it would be. What you have to also understand and think about is, hey, maybe the firm you start at, I tell guys this all the time because you asked me this question. Maybe you started a firm that gave you some kind of salary or some form of a guarantee where you weren't out there on your own island at the beginning. But just because that was a great place to start doesn't mean that's a great place to continue on or to finish. Right. And when it comes to ripping off the Band-Aid, it's not fun to move firms. It isn't necessarily on the surface easy, but there's a lot of things in technology. I would say changing firms today is a lot different than it was five, ten years mm-hmm. ago. But it, those, for example, I'll just use this one. As an insurance-based model, right? If you have a company that was an insurance-based broker-dealer, chances are if they have proprietary product, you have to sell that product. If you're doing a fee for planning model and you have to sell product, does that con- conflict with your business model and your values or whatever it may be? Maybe, and yeah. maybe, maybe not. But 
the ease of, of even getting money from a client for a fee for playing. So just one more example. I mean, I, I've seen it where there is no system. You have to have a check in hand. Wow. Yeah. Do you want to have 100 fee for planning clients? Are you going to chase them down for money? Literally? Check, yeah. I mean, that's a whole job in and of yeah. itself. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you have to find somewhere that that makes it easy and fits your model, whatever that may be, whether it's yeah. fee for planning or commissionable. But yeah, it, it, yeah it's a separator for sure. Well, I want to. I want to. Um, I was I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and um, he was telling me that because my son's fifteen, he has to you know learn how to drive soon. And <laughs> my friend was telling me about his daughter going to driving school, and I was like, oh, I remember watching these videos in driving school. And basically, what they try to do is they try to scare the crap out of you and mm-hmm. like show you these videos of people crashing. You'd be like, don't be this guy. But it's a good reminder, like, hey, you're, you're, this, this, this is a big deal. And so we're going to show you the worst case scenario. Right. So I tell you that story because I'm wondering, could you tell us just a couple quick anonymized, <laughs> remove the yeah. names to protect the guilty? Yes. Like, what could go wrong? Like, what have you seen either from other people that said, hey, Kyle, not for me. I'm going to go with, you know, whatever investment, whatever. And then they call you and you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, what could go wrong? And when you're switching like this, like how could you really, really screw this up either because they didn't tell you the truth or because you just, you didn't, you didn't move to the new place in a, you know, like in a, in a responsible way. I I mean, I just got this vision of someone like moving in their house, taking all their stuff. And then like someone forgot to close the back of the U-Haul and they're driving on the road and stuff's just falling out. Right. Like that happens to people's businesses when they move it over, like their book of business just falls apart. Mm -hmm. Right. So Scare us with some truth about like, you need to make sure you're thinking about these things. Otherwise it can go really bad. I think a big one, and I don't hear it as much anymore for, I I think more advisors have woken up and smelled the coffee on this one is, and I think the biggest one is really the upfront money. I've had advisors refer to it as the blood money. And the reason I say that as the first one is there are strings attached to it. Hmm. There's no free checks. For example, a bigger firm that's giving you upfront check. It's not like they're just giving you free money out of the goodness of their heart. They're going to make money on you or on your business or on your clients. Right away. Whether it's not right away, they're going to make it over time. And, right. and, and where I see advisors make the mistake there is they'll take it, but there's a note typically attached to that. Typically, it's five to seven years. Right. So if you get that, you know, let's say I moved to firm A and they gave me my upfront check of a million dollars. Maybe I feel good the day it hits my bank account. But 12 months, 24 months, I'm thinking, uh-oh. This is a miserable experience. I can't get anything done. My team or my staff or myself are wasting time even just trying to get help. I'm calling an 800 number and, and I'm talking to six different people and I'm spending right. all, I'm spending, I'm doing the 80 20 role, but reversed. I'm spending right. 80% of my time on things I thought that was going to be solved by this change in this firm, but they're not. Right. The problem with the upfront money conversation is you have to come back up out of pocket for that. So that's literally where you can be stuck. If you get into some kind of contract, I would say make sure. You have an attorney review your contract before you actually wow. make a change. Yeah, that's scary. It's worth a couple hundred dollars <laughs> to have somebody look at it. <laughs> yeah. Then, then not. No matter where you go, whether it be with an independent firm, even if you're not taking any upfront money or there's no note or strings attached mm-hmm. to your contract, yeah. you want to make sure what they tell you is true. Unfortunately, yeah. I, like I said, I come from the wholesaling background in the yeah. annuity world. Annuities get a bad rep because of a lot of things. I think because there's sort of half truths or maybe there's advisors or, or even clients necessarily. It could be anybody that doesn't understand the moving parts. Yeah, I think anytime, you, 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 anytime you're having a transaction where, right. where one party is not fully understand what they're taking part in, mm-hmm. you know, that like, yeah, that, that, that feels confusing, deceptive. Even if you're like, well, they should have known. Okay, maybe they should have, but they didn't, right? And so 
Um, I, I I think that's good, and it's a good reminder to slow down because I think when when you start seeing a bunch of zeros behind numbers, your judgment, your your you that's that's it's appealing, and so you, sometimes we'll stop asking questions instead of asking more questions. You know what I'm saying? Because those mm-hmm. numbers are like, oh, I want that. Well, every, every single time I talk to somebody that is considering the upfront money, I say, okay, well, what about these other things? Here's here's the things. I think I told you this the other day. You know, here's I always say to guys, I'll tell you all the things that that firm isn't going to tell you. Or here's the questions you should be asking. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Compare them. Yeah, we're going to get into that because so. I think that's that's what you got. You got another right question to ask. Right. Um, I've heard uh, this from Kitsis, and I'm not sure he he maybe not isn't the only one who said it, but mm-hmm. other, he's he popularizes a lot of things because he's very popular. Um, which is that. Most advisors stay at their third place the longest, and so can you kind of break that down for us? Like, mm-hmm. is that true to not to a to a you know, it's not gospel truth, but like, why has that happened? Or, or is that first of all, do you agree with that's generally true? Uh, I don't know third about the, the third necessarily, but I, I understand his rationale as to probably why he's saying that. Right. All right. We'll break that down. Like, for, forget he said that. Then, yeah. like, where do you think people land? How many times do you think people move? Well, I'll tell you this. And why? Um, every person, 98% of them that I talk to, mm-hmm. even if they don't join us, they all say to me, well, I want this to be my last move. That's a really interesting. And it happens all the I mean, that, and I, I think say, I might have just gotten our show title. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I'm just looking at like, what's that zinger? You know, like, <laughs> you know, will this be your last move? And and they say that because they just don't want to, they just don't want to, I mean, I think about people when they move like houses, they're like, I don't want to move again. I don't want to yeah. move again. You know, the process is blah, right? So ninety eight percent say I want this to be their last move. Almost everybody does. I, I uh, even in the initial conversation, yeah. it's almost the first thing they say is, "Hey, look, before you even get started today, I want to let you know I've done this four times. I've done this three yeah. times. I've done this X." But amount I guess of the times. alternative is to say, "Like, hey, just so you know, I'm probably going to switch in five years." Like, well, somebody's saying that, I'd say, "Look, we're probably not a good fit for you. We want yeah. we want this to be your last yeah. move too. We want it to be a long term relationship." Right. And I, I to answer your question on the Kitsis side. I think a lot of the advisors that I've seen, if you look at the traditional advisor, average age is 62.4, roughly, something like that. Wow. Most of those guys, and if you look at the business back then, a lot of those guys started out in the insurance industry mm-hmm. or they started out in like a, an investment wirehouse. He was like one or the other. <laughs> I couldn't tell you how many guys I've seen start at insurance companies that don't even exist anymore. Maybe they run under a different name now. Yeah. And I think the model of our business has progressed from maybe it was more of a transactional business. Sure. Then they went and they got their Series 7 and maybe there was a different firm that helped them with that. And then now it's more... You know, I think the trend today is more fee for planning, yeah. more of an, uh, I would say, an RIA, if you will, based model Absolutely. where they can interact with clients the way they want to without a, a broker-dealer model is really kind of outdated. People say, oh, I'm looking for a new firm and guys tell me I hate broker-dealers. I hope you're not offended by that. I'm like, I do too. Most broker-dealers suck. Because? They stand in the way of trying to get business done in, in a way? lot of ways. Um, well, I'll give you one example from a, from a marketing perspective. We're doing this podcast today. I had so many advisors that I've asked yeah. about, how, you know, what are you doing for marketing? Well, I'm doing the the canned stuff that's right. automated because that's all I can do. I had right. an advisor that was at a wirehouse that was trying to do a monthly newsletter and it took his compliance office three and a half weeks to review. <laughs> so by the time that, and, and it was this year. With, so basically like they're, they, if they want to do it, they had their their Thanksgiving uh, newsletter came out on Christmas. Right. So, yeah. yeah. It's it's it, but it's irrelevant. I mean, yeah. you're not going to sell it to a client. So you're embarrassed by it. So yeah. what are you going to do? Because it's you're a market stop. update. Yeah. Yeah. So whether it's that or whether it's the, I, I don't think 
I think a lot of times it's for guys, it's compliance is, is probably one of them, whether it be from a review standpoint. Yeah. I think the other big thing is is service. Um, what guys and what have, and girls, any advisor, right, what they really want, I think, a lot of times is intimacy, right? We, we call the cable company. We don't want to be on hold. We don't want to talk to somebody new every single time we call the phone yeah. for the cable company, let alone our livelihood in our business, right? right? If I'm calling yeah. my, my back office. Yeah, you know, another my, way I say it too is yeah. I, I want to just talk to another human. And I, and right. by that, I mean, I don't want to talk to just a person or an employee. Like I want to talk to someone that says, man, that, that's frustrating. Thank you. I didn't, I'm not blaming you. I just want you to like understand like, yeah, wow, that's, man, I, hey, I called about this like two weeks ago and it hasn't happened. The first thing I want them to say is, man, that's frustrating. Let's get this figured out. Versus like, well, did you do this, this, this? Like, Talk to me like you're sitting across from me and you're like, actually care more on the same team. Mm-hmm. All right. That goes a long way. Right. So let me ask this, uh, if I can switch it up a little bit. Sure, go ahead. Well, how do you find out if a company is who they really say they are? Because I've had advisors that, you know, they switch and they say, yeah, we're going to help with moving all your clients, yada, yada. And they show up and they're like, yeah, I don't know who told you that, but like, we don't do that here. And that was with a smaller company. But, mm-hmm. but how... Let, maybe we call this episode trust but verify right <laughs> uh but like how do you trust someone but then verify without you know get married first you know what i mean how do you do that um there's a couple ways to do it i think the first thing is to you asked me the question earlier about how you know just bring people on i think a lot of these people call themselves business development but they're really just recruiters they don't care about you they don't care about your practice and you have to i, I think in the your initial conversations have to go follow your gut Follow the, the gut feeling of the person you're talking to because yeah. that's the best that they're going to be in the very beginning. And you you've got like a relationship, right? Your first yeah. date, in reality, maybe that person is the same on the sixth date. Hopefully yeah, they but are, I'm skeptical but, about that, Kyle, because I feel like yeah. a lot of these people are just like they're in that spot because they're just smooth. And I guess one of my concerns is like, yeah, like I've met someone, I'm like, dang, they're smooth. And so my guard goes up because I'm like, dang, they're smooth. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they're going to be. I don't know that they're hiding something, but I'm like, you're so smooth. Like, um, and not that you want them to be like rough or like average or weird or awkward, but like, um, I, I guess one of, one of the questions I would have is if you're thinking about switching and the answer is always exactly what you want to hear, <laughs> like that, to me, that would be a red flag. So maybe like be. offer yeah. some red flags of like, if everything you ask for, they say yes to, either you have an enormous book of business and, you know, you're 30 years into the business and right. they're like stupid. Of course, they're going to bend over backwards and go, yes, 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 yes. Like, how can you ask someone and find out? Because even here's my other concern is if they say, well, give me some people to talk to. Well, they're going to pick some people to talk to. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, um, who maybe have had just a glorious experience. You know what I mean? Right. And so. You know, this is one of the questions we get in EAN, which I appreciate. It's because we've got people who work for all different kinds of companies and independent so and so forth. Is they say, hey, do you know anybody that works for so-and-so? Oh, yeah, they just switched to so-and-so. Let me put you in contact. And, you know, they've been with them for six months. And then you'll figure out versus sort of the hand-picked references. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, so what are the questions that you should be asking? Well, let me, let me answer in two parts. The first part is who, how should you figure out that? path of trust. I think the first one would be call the advisors. You can go on broker check, type in the firm name, make sure that they're still actively registered. Make sure you uncheck the previous register box. Call a couple. The other one, I told you this, the benefit that I had in the wholesaling world is I knew so many different broker dealer models, even though I wasn't at those firms. Mm-hmm. I had 50 advisors at probably each firm or a handful, right? Gotcha. So call your wholesalers. They're, they're 
totally oh, unbiased. That's life hack right they, there. They life can, hack. Hashtag <laughs> life hack alert. They like can, that, I love, yeah. So I'm going to pause real quick because yeah. I love that. Sure. Is, yeah, that's cool, dude. I love that one. Uh, is don't ask them for references. Ask a wholesaler and say, give me five names of people you know that work for blank company. Right. Or what do you know about silver? Because the wholesaler is like, yeah. the, the wholesaler really more works for you because mm-hmm. you're their client, right? Versus the recruiter, if you will, or business development person who their client is the company. Can right? I take that one step further? Go ahead. Ask the wholesaler that you do the most business with. Because chances are, if your business model, let's say my business model is more variable annuity business, and I'm going to ask my annuity wholesaler, oh, I yeah, want to yeah, know yeah, how they sense. do. Okay. How, yeah, yeah, yeah. How so is process back up real quick? Yeah. Ask the, because I want to break that down because sure. that's genius. It, it's next level, right? <laughs> so that was the average. Now here's the elite. The elite is, the average is ask a wholesaler. Maybe the average is you ask the person recruiting you. Sure. The, the semi-elite is that you ask a wholesaler. The elite elite is you ask the wholesaler of the kind of business you do the most in because right. they're going to talk to other advisors who work for the other company that do this you know, they do the most business, that kind of business with, like right. they sell that product. Right? They see the other side. I mean, my biggest holdup as a wholesaler wasn't necessarily the other companies. It was, it wasn't the other companies that were my competitors. It was yeah. these back offices that would hold things up or make business difficult. Whereas at another firm business, that kind of business at least was easy to do. So like, let's say for example, it's, you do a lot of UITs. All right. Ask your first trust guy, Yeah, you know, hey, guys at Silver Oak, for example, is it easy to right. do UITs? What's yeah. it like? What's yeah. their platform? What yeah. are your opinion? Yeah, so. That's, I love that. That's awesome. Next yeah. level. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, a couple more. Um, how long do you think it should take and how much does that vary based upon like how many years? Of it? Is it the size of the book is going to add? Like I've heard it said mm-hmm. uh, for every $10,000 in your salary, I'm trying to remember if it's like three months or something like that is how long it should take you to find a different job. Like if you're switching mm. or something like that. So the idea is like, if you're making 40 K, right. Like it should take you like four months to find a different job. Like if you're just looking for a job, but if you're making 400 K, like expect it could take a year or something or more because the, the more substantial the move, the more research you want to do. Right. Right. So what's maybe the longest and then the shortest and why? Good question. I'm going to go, I'm going to start here. So look at your contracts. If you're somebody that's leaving a firm where maybe you're leaving a wirehouse or a bank where you don't really own those clients, yeah, your next move is going to be a little bit harder to navigate versus if I'm fully 1099 independent contractor, these are my clients. I can tell my clients ahead of time yeah. and on the back end. It's a totally different transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good point. Um, so that's where I would start. From there, Andy, I'd say it's probably about Six months is on average is what I see from an average of, of from, from when first they make call the decision. Oh, okay. To me, okay. To when they they get onboarded, um, and then you know, but like I said, with that, you don't want to make a, a lateral move. I always want to see guys. We're in business development. We're going to develop. I mean, right. our, our MO is we want it to be an upgrade. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think the, the the last piece of that from a transition side is you want to make sure that you're you're really going to the right place and that you're prepared and that your staff is prepared. So if it's just Kyle moving firms, that's about six months. If it's Kyle, Andy, Sten, a handful right. of us together, we're going to move a firm. Well, A, there's multiple personalities. That'd be a fun firm, by the way. It would be fun, yeah. <laughs> there, there, There's a lot of different personalities and maybe your business model is slightly different than mine. So we need to make sure the move is good for all of us and the right. timing is right for all of us. So typically that's about a year if you see a group. Okay, yeah. okay. All right, last question I have. Sure. What percentage of advisors are like, yeah, my... My company's the problem. And then you talk to them and you're like, and I don't know if it's a company. Like, 
and not that you're going to tell them this, but you just go, yeah, maybe we're not a good fit for you. Like, what percent? Because I've I've had conversations with advisors always, kind of privately, and you know, mm-hmm. is there like some of them are like, man, I I thought I should have switched, and I realized it wasn't. They weren't going to solve my problem. I had some internal stuff I got to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. So, what percentage of people do you think should just go? You know what? Like, figure it out where you are, or it's like, no, like you need to go find a better place. There's a fine line between finding a new place and you know it being a fit or not, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't think the first initial gut instinct should be, well, one thing about my firm sucks or I hate it or it's difficult. Yeah. I'm going to see if another firm's better, right? That's that's probably not. It. I think a lot of people are coming to the point where it's thing after thing after thing. Okay. All of a sudden, when you start to get a list yeah. of recurring problems, yeah. or maybe, again, like we said before, it maybe it wasn't a problem at the beginning, but your business model has now changed. Yeah. And you can clearly see it's not a fit. Interesting. Maybe it's time to explore other options. It doesn't mean you have to move today. I always tell people, like, my timeline's yours. It doesn't have to be six months or yeah. a year. Yeah. If it's three years and you just are exploring and kicking the tires as to what's out there, where yeah. you want your business to go. That that's it's, and I would depends. say I would say I would I'm wondering though like yeah. I was thinking about one time I had to buy a new car because my engine died on my car and it wasn't like mm-hmm. gee should I get that fixed it was like I have to get a whole new engine it was I was in a bad situation because I had very few options and they were all I mean I had they all my options were expensive so the reason I mentioned that is like hmm. I mean I would encourage people don't wait until your list is so long and your staff is miserable and you hate your life like. You know, explore when there's not as much pressure. Would you agree? Hundred percent. I always tell people have your parachute packed before you get pushed out of a plane. Um, in a lot of <laughs> before ways, you jump or before uh, you man, jump. You know, yeah. and like I'm gonna make it on the way down. Right? But Andy, a long time it's a man, it's a mandatory push. I'd say probably seventy percent of the advisors that have joined our firm in the last yeah. year have come from these larger broker dealers, or they're at a firm they didn't sign up to be at. They signed up to be at firm A. They were kind of like you in your car situation. They got bought out by firm B. Oh. Now, all of a sudden, they have to make a quick decision. Do I stay here wow. or do I have to find something else okay. in the next so, yeah. 30 So have days. the conversation maybe when you don't have to have the conversation. Well, right? it's just always good to know. Yeah. And and then that's when you run through the list. Call your wholesalers. Call. I mean, start to do the yeah. your due diligence. Um, at least, you know, give yourself a path. But sometimes you don't have that option. Got it. Awesome. Uh, well, I feel like we're on that show. I've only watched it a few times, but the love or leave it, you know, like, are you, yeah. like, you going to fix your house and love it? Or are you uh, gonna, love it or list it? Love it or list yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good you. show. No, I like Sorry. that show. I think I yeah. might have done a dating show, love it or leave it. So that's not, <laughs> I was talking about the past te- life. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I'm not, I was not on the dating show. I was saying that's probably a dating show, love mm. it or leave it. Uh, but <laughs> love it or list it. Yes, that's a better name for a show that yeah. actually existed. Uh, but it feels like that. It's sort of like, do I stay with what I, you know, or do I need to, do I need to move on? Um, so, uh, our hope for you, for for you watching on YouTube, uh, for for you who are listening, um, is that you would make the best out of the current situation you're in. I don't think there's a perfect situation. I think that there's humans always running the show, and so there's going to be some frustrations at some point. Right. Uh, but I I hope and I believe that this episode's been a help to you who are listening or watching to just know the right questions to ask. You can't get the right answers unless you ask the right questions, and so we hope that. Uh, our goal is to help equip you to ask the right questions. And, and again, I, I, I want to caution people who are just like, jump, 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 jump. Like that's, that's a symptom of a larger problem, I think. And it's, and it's not that every situation they're in is wrong. It's that you're taking the wrong things into each, each situation. Right. Mm-hmm. So Kyle, I want to thank you for your time. Um, and, uh, wish you the very best. Thanks for being a part of the lead advisor network and, uh, for pointing people to us, uh, through your work with Silver Oak and, um, folks, thanks for listening. 
I do ask a favor. I've had quite a few conversations recently with our new event uh, coming up in May for HowToChargeLive.com um, that uh, a lot of people listen to the show. Kyle, um, they're not leaving reviews. And so that's when I just automatically hang up on the Zoom. I've got a <laughs> click, and they're like, what just happened? And I'm like, I hung up you because you didn't leave a review. No, but seriously, the leave a review. Um, and I will say this. We still have about 10 seats left for How to Charge Live. So if you're interested in coming, uh, then our hotel discount is still available. Our free whiteboard. You know, we're giving people whiteboards now. Mm. Uh, it's kind of like one's nice. better than this one. The yeah. one's like the one in my office. So if you're interested in that, reach out to me, howtochargelive.com. And there's a couple buttons on there to schedule some time to talk with me one-on-one. Love to talk with you about bringing you or your team. Uh, Kyle, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, can I can I just plug that real quick? I mean, you're you're I've been in the, two your live events at this point yeah. and been an ENN or EAN from uh, I think the very beginning. I was in the beta test, right? I was one in the first round. You survived I, the beta. <laughs> uh, it's been great. Um, if you're considering it, or even if you know you've had a couple of conversations with Andrew, maybe you haven't yet. You just listen to the podcast for free. Uh, to me, it's it's worth every penny. Um, like we said before. You guys and, and Sten and what you guys have created, you guys are the experts in the in the fee for planning space. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, which is, again, the same reason I joined you guys. You guys know the questions not just to to tell or to pivot and how to present it to a client. Yeah. Because you've done it hundreds and thousands yeah. of times and yeah. had success. So, And it's the same from, from, from my side, you know, with what we just were discussing. So I, I think you guys do a great job with that. If somebody's considering it, I definitely recommend. And, and you've done a great job. And thanks for having me. Been a lot Thanks, of fun. bro. Appreciate it. Let me get your Venmo after the show so I can make sure. Yeah, well, I'll that. send it to you. Yeah. All right, appreciate it. Thanks, man. <laughs>